following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 20. You know, with it being Christmas time, um, the debate comes up all the time. What is the best Christmas movie? I, I knew it. I knew somebody was going to throw that in there. <laughs> I've gotten in, in like some really heated debates over this in the past like month. People are like, how could you say that's the best Christmas movie? This isn't a Christmas movie, whatever the case is. And hands down, um, it's a Charlie Brown Christmas. So, yeah, anybody just want to say amen to that? Like everything else at this church, we have to prove it, so I'll prove it. Fifty-five years ago, a Charlie Brown Christmas first aired on television. Isn't that amazing? Many actual uh, TV execs thought that, the sh- that it would just be completely ignored, but there was a couple of guys who were really concerned about a Charlie Brown Christmas. And the reason that they were concerned about it was they thought that it would be offensive. Imagine that, 65 years ago, something be offensive. And they said the reason that it would be offensive is it quoted scripture. A few people wanted Charles Schultz, who was the show's creator, to take out the Christmas story, but Schultz essentially demanded that it stay in. And surprisingly, it became uh, an immediate success. It's been rebroadcast every single year since 1965. The best Christmas movie ever. And if you're totally lost, a, a Charlie Brown Christmas is about a guy named Charlie Brown. He's drawn, by the way, he's a fictional character. But he's frustrated because he's the director of a children's Christmas play. Those of you who grew up in the church, do you remember Christmas plays? Do you remember what a nightmare those were? I remember when I was growing up, we had Dr. Newhart's Christmas Cure, and oh my, it was, I mean, I'm telling you what, we have to explain some things to Jesus when we get to heaven about that. But anyway, Charlie Brown is frustrated. He's this this director of this Christmas play, and he's discouraged by the commercial spirit of the holiday season, and he essentially asks if anybody knows the real meaning of Christmas. And good old Linus speaks up, and he says, Luke chapter 2, verse 11. He says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. He'll be lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace And goodwill towards men. And Linus is a good friend, looks at Charlie Brown, and he says, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. That's what Christmas is all about. During the Christmas season, it is good for us to stop and to ponder and to implement again God's great love that is expressed in a very familiar story. A true story of Mary and Joseph and the baby, Jesus and the angels who announce the Savior's birth. And so today, what we're going to do in Luke chapter 2, verse 
is look at what the gift of Christmas is really all about. Let's look at verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Some people worked the third shift even back then. And the angel of the Lord appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel speaks. It's one thing when an angel shows up. It's another thing when he talks. And he says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. The first gift that Christmas is all about is a gift that casts out fear. If you look at the text in verse 8, same region is an upland pasture immediately in the neighborhood of Bethlehem. Luke chapter 2 verse 8 connects to Luke chapter 2 verse 4. It is believed shepherds are out in the field and they're caring for their flock as they're destined for death during a sacrificial time that we call Passover. Shepherds, in this context, we are unaware of who they are or, or why they're chosen to hear the good news. We have no idea. But what we do know, according to the Mishnah, which is just Jewish oral tradition, is that shepherds were under a ban and they were regarded as thieves. Only people who were lower than shepherds at that time would be lepers. They're not wanted. They're not welcomed. These men are sinful men. They are believed to be unable to keep the law that God had given in the Old Testament. And they're given one of the most, if not the most, significant announcements. Why? Well, it's believed that the lowly, unclean shepherds remind us of Jesus' first beatitude in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is no incident that these shepherds are told of this glorious announcement as it really paves the road for Jesus' proclamation in the Beatitudes. Regardless of being blessed, though, the shepherds are terrified. And they should be, right? Anytime an angel talks to you, you're going to be upset uh, in, in this regard. And look at how the angel calms the fear of the shepherds. The first way that he does this in verse 9 is the angel of the Lord appears. He shows up. Now, it is an angel of the Lord. It is not the angel of the Lord. For those of you that know your Bible really well, the angel of the Lord is a Christophany or an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, which we're not going to talk about today. I'm sure that raises a few questions for some of you. But this is simply a messenger from God to simple men proclaiming the incarnation of Christ. This angel isn't identified by name. We know from last week only Gabriel and Michael are going to be angels that are named. But regardless, the glory of the Lord shines around them. Now, that's interesting. Circle the word glory because it illuminates to us the beautiful text of the Old Testament and a bridge that is built into the New Testament. The glory here is the same glory that appeared to Abraham in Ur as spoken about in Acts chapter 7. It's the same glory that Moses encounters at Mount Sinai. It's the same glory that was in the, temper, in the tabernacle at Exodus chapter 40. It is the same glory at the dedication of Solomon's temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. And it is exactly what Ezekiel saw depart the temple in Ezekiel chapter 10. So think about it like this. For more than 500 years, 
the nation of Israel had been without a single visible sign of God's presence among his people, and now the glory which Israel had waited so long for had been revealed to shepherds, to these shepherds in a field, not priests in a temple, shepherds. So the first way that the shepherds' fears are calmed is the angel of the Lord appears, and that's important for us because we know that that calming of fear also comes to us. And thank the Lord, the angel speaks. In verse 10, he says, don't be afraid. That means two things. Number one, don't even begin to start to be afraid. And number two, if you start to be afraid, stop it. It's said that the Bible has 365 times a declaration of two, do not be afraid, one for every single day of the year. Don't be afraid. Fear not. One of the key themes of the Christmas story is God said the same thing to Abraham and pretty much every other guy that we already listed before. But why? The shepherds were not supposed to be afraid because the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, his coming, produced joy, not fear. Joy is an inward feeling of contentment that bursts forth in rejoicing and praise. Joy comes not just to lowly shepherds or isolated parents like Mary and Joseph, but joy comes to all people because of Christ. Commentator Linsky says it like this. He says, shepherds are poor mortal men who came in contact with the Lord's glory, and the angels in the dead of night is to cease. It is a blessing. The absolute supreme blessing for mortal man is revealed to the shepherds. And I would take that a step further, and I would say to us as well. The gospel of Jesus Christ always begins with fear not. The gospel that is delivered to us, Christ came, died, rose again, ascended to the right hand of God, is a message that removes sin and fear. And Christ, being born the Messiah, is the greatest event in human history. Your calendars are dated around it. For ages, the Jews waited for this, and when it finally happened, the announcement came to shepherds. And what we see here is the gospel comes to all types of people. It comes to anyone with a heart humble enough to accept him as Savior. Whoever you are, whatever you do, you can have Jesus in your life, a gift that casts out fear. Don't think you need extraordinary qualifications to come to Christ. Jesus loves us and accepts us how we are, but he refuses to let us stay there. The only reason to be afraid is if you don't know the gospel. If you don't know the angel's words. Fear not, for behold, I will bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Do you have the gospel of Jesus Christ? In other words, have you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord? And have you received the gift of Jesus Christ? And is it removing fear from your life? So oftentimes we find that fear is still in our life because we are still feasting on that which is sin. And we have not let the gift, as we talked last week, have complete residency in our hearts. Well, it continues in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, the first angel choir, probably not the first one, more the second one, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Probably in perfect pitch too as well. Every note correct. But it says peace. So Christmas is a gift that casts out fear and brings peace. The city of David, if you want to look at that in verse 11, is Bethlehem. Bethlehem wasn't formally called this. Most people in this time period would have called Jerusalem the city of David. Shepherds, however, would have had a recognized the angel's reference to all of the messianic promises that pointed to David. Now watch how his message brings comfort in the second part of chapter um, 2, verse 11, second part of that verse. He will be the Lord. If you want to, circle the name Savior, which summarizes or defines Luke's previous description of Jesus in chapter 1, verse 77, where he says, He will give to his people the knowledge of salvation for the forgiveness of their sins. The word for you is a reference to the poor, lowly, despised shepherds. It's not to Caesar. It's not to King Herod. It's not to a high priest. Jesus, of course, we know, could be savior to those individuals, those who are high and mighty, if they became low and humble and remorseful. The angel spoke of this savior, one who would deliver his people and not destroy them. And for the angel to call Jesus the Lord means even this baby was over the angelic realm. The word Lord is equal to Jehovah God in the Old Testament. It is the same word used in chapter 2, verse 9, where it says, The glory of the Lord shone around the shepherds. Or chapter 2, verse 23, in reference to the law of the Lord. Or how about going back further to Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, as it declares, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. For the reason to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So the baby in the manger of Bethlehem is none other than Jesus Emmanuel, God in human flesh, and that should bring comfort. But the second thing is the sign. In verse 12, look, it says, You will find a baby who's wrapped in swaddling clothes. We talked about this a little bit last week. But sign here is interesting of God in human flesh for the shepherds. It wasn't a palace. He's not going to go to like the high priest. He's not going to go to the temple. There's not going to be a halo over Christ's head. By the way, halos are very unbiblical. I hate to burst your bubble. That's just kind of the way it works. But it's a baby wrapped in cloths. Now, under normal circumstances, you would expect to find uh, multiple newborns in this time period, but none of them are going to be in a feeding trough. The sign is something they'd be able to see as unique. Commentator Morris says it like this. He says, in Bethlehem that night, there might have been one or two babies wrapped in swaddling clothes, but surely not one of them is going to be lying in a manger. Something miraculous is happening and taking place here. And what we see is that many people 
look for the Lord, especially at Christmas time, in the wrong places. Beloved church family, let me tell you something. You're going to invite your family to church, and that's great, and I'm glad that you do that. But as you invite those people this season to our church, you must explain the gospel to them. Because they will think that the building is their saving grace. And they will think that their presence here in this place is their saving grace. And that's not true. We can offer shelter from the storms of life in this house, but we can't offer peace like God offers through Christ and a relationship with him. Many people look for the Lord in the wrong places. But Christ became a man so he could reach us where we're at. I love the old song. Uh, for those of you who love um, Southern gospel music, the old song says, He came down to my level because I couldn't get to his. And by the way, if you don't listen to Southern gospel music, I feel sorry for you because when the Lord comes back, it's going to be perfect four-part harmony. And I'm telling you what, it's going to be great. I think, I think all the disciples sang that way too. Just saying. I can't prove it biblically. <clears throat> Verse 13. The angels praise God at creation. Same thing happens in Job chapter 38. And now they praise God for Jesus Emmanuel. The whole purpose, the whole plan of salvation was to give glory to God. God's glory had, dealt, had dwelt in tabernacles in Exodus 40, in temples in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, but it departed because of the nation's sin. And now God's glory was returning to earth via his son, announced by a glorious angelic army. That lowly Bethlehem major is transformed, in a sense, to a new holiest of holies. Because Jesus is there. Heaven's choir comes down to sing when heaven's king came down to save. And the question is, are you in the choir? I'm not talking about the choir that just sang but this choir who praises God for who he is. Ryle says it like this. He says, Now has come the highest degree of glory to God by the appearing of his son, Jesus Christ, in the world. He, by his life and death on the cross, will glorify God's attributes, things like justice and holiness and mercy and wisdom, as they never were glorified before. Creation glorified God, but not so much as redemption. All of this good news brings peace. And the word peace there, if you want to circle that, is the word Irene, which means to join or bind together that which has been separated. This is what happens. You have true peace when you have it all together. Raise your hand if you have it all together. We don't have it all together unless we have Christ, so everyone should have raised their hands. You have everything you need in the gospel of Christ. The word shalom, which means peace, means much more than a truce in the battles of life. It means well-being and security and soundness and completion. That's why we say peace be with you on Sunday morning. You are complete, reminding you of who you are in Christ. And also with you, may you be complete in Christ. It has more to do with the character than circumstances. Life is difficult. It was difficult back then. It's still difficult today. And then God sent his son. Life's tough. And then God sent his son. Life's hard. And then God sent his son. Life's difficult. And then God sent his son. 
God's peace isn't given to those who have goodwill, but to those who are recipients of God's favor. You're favored in the Lord. You're the shepherds out in the field if you've accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then what happens in verse 15? Look at this. What's the attitude? And I, have, I have peace here, it says in the text. I have no fear in the text. And what is my response? Verse 15. And the angels went away from them into heaven. And I wonder how long the shepherds took to talk to each other because that would have been amazing, right? It's like that little kid from The Incredibles when he looks at him, he says, what are you doing? He says, what do you expect? He says, I don't know, something amazing. <laughs> the shepherd says to one another, we should probably go to Bethlehem <laughs> and see this thing that happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, which means they went fast. And they found Mary and Joseph, and there's the baby lying in the manger. And then when they saw to it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it, they wondered at what the shepherds told them. I mean, these guys are lowest of the low. But Mary, as we talked about last week, treasures up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. Joseph, the things that we knew about are coming to fruition. It's happening. And the shepherds returned and they glorified God. And they praised God for they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The gift of Christmas leads us to worship. Leads us to worship. Notice the shepherds go to see Christ immediately. From the angel's instruction, that's called obedience. The shepherds believed the message. They had faith. And they went and confirmed their faith for themselves. Like Mary did after she heard the message of Elizabeth. And after seeing Christ, the shepherds did exactly what is commanded to us in Matthew chapter 28. They start to verbally proclaim the Messiah's arrival. They spread the word. They start to proclaim the message of this Christ, which caused amazement, which is a theme that runs rampant through the book of Luke. Their hopes and their longings that the Redeemer would come had been realized, and their lives were marked by a newfound attitude of praise and worship. And I would ask, is that where we're at today, individually and as a church body? Do we stand amazed at what has happened and transpired? Are we not afraid because we are casting out our sin and putting it in the Lord's lap daily, minute by minute? Are we embracing the peace of God because of the promises that are continually etched in the text? The same attitude characterizes all who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. They heard the message, they believed the message, they confirmed the message, and then they lived the message. And as Paul describes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus. And I cannot forget about Mary here who in an act of worship as well reflects and meditates on God's word. 
She chews on Scripture and all the things she knows about Scripture, and she ponders these things in her heart. She doesn't just flip by it. She doesn't just pass through it. She stops and puts the to-do list down and says, these things are true. She's reflecting on this amazing event, taking in the moment. Reminded of our littles, many of which are in our nursery or in children's ministry, who behold the wonder of Christmas, right? I remember when my kids were little and I could do anything to, to just make them light up. I'd turn on the Christmas tree and it was, ooh, that's awesome. I could give them a box that had nothing in it when they were two and they would play with it for four hours. Behold Christmas. By the way, if you guys have little kids, there's the secret. You don't have to buy them anything for the first three years of their life. You just wrap up boxes and put them in front of them, and they're so happy. And then they get to be four or five, and there's like, well, there's nothing in the box. Mary reflects on this amazing event like a little child at Christmas. And she's not alone. The shepherds and the angels glorify and praise their Lord, the, the Lord. Their lives are never going to be the same. When you give a great gift, you realize that that gift, if it's given properly and from the heart and for a person who, who, who needs it, it radically changes and transforms their life. But earthly gifts are only for a season, while heavenly gifts, like the gift of Christ, are given for an eternity. The gift of Christmas casts out fear. It brings peace, and it leads us to worship. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, the question on the table is, what are we worshiping this time of year? Is it the season or is it the Savior? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these beautiful accounts of true stories that have taken place so many years ago. We thank you for the reminder of shepherds who show us that you come to people in lowly estates. We thank you, God, for the validation of the angelic beings and the glory of the Lord that's shown around them. And oftentimes, Lord, we find ourselves afraid. And if you're here this morning and if you find yourself afraid, that may just be the Holy Spirit convicting you to confess your sin and believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Accept the greatest gift that you could ever receive. If you don't have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, today is the day of your salvation. May you confess your sins and believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, for his blood covers all of our sins. And embrace true peace. A gift that casts out fear. Lord, many of us find ourselves as believers, afraid and without peace this season because we've come to the realization that we've worshipped a season and not a savior. And we ask for your forgiveness first and foremost of that. We pray that we remove materialism and put you back on the throne as you so rightfully deserve. We ask God that you would help us to join with the angels this season in praising you, saying glory to you in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom you are pleased. We ask God that you would continue to remind us of the importance of being amazed 
at Jesus, the Nazarene. May we run to him and to you through your word, through prayer, through fellowship with one another. May we constantly be in wonder and awe at all that has been told to us because of what your word has proclaimed. And may we be like Mary and treasure up all these things and ponder them in our hearts. And as we do that, may we return back to you the glory that you so rightfully deserve and praise you with a lifestyle, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, as walking worshipers, living sacrifices, our spiritual act of worship. As Jesus said, may we go and sin no more. And may we constantly give you the praise and adoration and glory that you so rightfully deserve. Thank you, God, for the gift of Christ in this Christmas season. Help us to utilize the gift well. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.